Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Big thanks to eBay for sponsoring this episode of Pass Gas. Passion, drive, patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. We're talking superchargers, turbos, exhaust kits, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need for the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Fast cars and big movies are as American as Abraham Lincoln. From the DeLorean to the Batmobile, superstar cars and the badasses who drive them have been woven into the fabric of American culture for over a century. Steve McQueen might be the king of said badasses. You'd think that being one of the most successful, ultra-cool film stars of the 60s and 70s would be enough. I mean, you have the money, fame, maybe even met Elvis. But movies were in many ways Steve McQueen's day job. Watch his interviews and you'll see him yawn through conversations about his acting work. The guy talked about movies the same way his streetwise characters would. Judging by how Stevie spent his free time, what he thought grown men should be doing is obsessing over cars. There's no one in today's entertainment world that comes close to not only McQueen's passion for collecting, but actual nuts and bolts knowledge of cars. Today on Past Gas, we're going to learn about how Steve McQueen was born a motorhead, the lasting impacts his movies have had on car culture, and how the king of cool may very well be the king of car collections as well. This is the number one automotive history show with a bullet. It's past gas. Past gas podcast. It's about cars. It's not about ports. Get it? Yeah, kind of. Okay. I'll be your number one with a bullet. I would have gone with God save the McQueen. <laughs> Um, I'll be your number one with the bullet. That's what you're going for. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, I kind of fumbled it. 
I apologize to everybody listening for that. It's okay. We forgive you. Thank you. I don't. I don't. Oh, no. That's pretty unforgivable. Well, hopefully we can improve. Unforgivable. For the course of this episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Past Gas. Um, I'm your host, Nolan Sykes. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. You can follow my co-hosts. We got James Pumphrey. Toot toot, baby, baby, toot toot. Follow him at James Pumphrey and Joe Weber. Uh, hey, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> you can follow him at Joe G. Weber. Yeah, I love the the shout out in the beginning now. People get people, uh, you know, on our social. Yeah, see, see how our following on our socials is uh, affected by putting it, put the shout out at the top. We put everything at the end, including in our videos. And now I'm like, I wonder if we shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> we should probably flip that. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about Steve McQueen, um, one of the biggest movie stars of the 60s and 70s. Maybe of all time, really. Of all time. Just an icon. Very cool looking man. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've seen his work. I watched Bullet last night. I've also seen the, uh, what is it? Le Mans film that one's that one's interesting that is a triumph of filmmaking yeah i think it's worth watching a lot of very cool vintage cars no i think you're the steve mcqueen of donut since you you drive a mustang <laughs> i'd agree thanks i'll take it yeah i'm the john goodman <laughs> i'm the um joseph gordon levitt the joel edgerton no of- <laughs> i can't stand that dude i don't know why really he looks like a, he looks like Conan O'Brien to me. He does. I like him. Anyway, uh, let's let's get in the story. If you're not familiar with Steve McQueen, the movie star, then you have some incredible movies to watch. His era of stardom coincided with a high point in American Cars, the 1960s. The 60s were to McQueen as the 2000s were to Johnny Depp. The dude just couldn't miss. I mean, who could forget? Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Willy Wonka. Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, that's a good one, though. Those movies rock. You guys say Caribbean or Caribbean? Caribbean for the movies, but Caribbean when referring to the region. Whoa, that's weird. Along with mega box office success, Steve walked that fine line of being a ladies' man and a man's man. Like many of his favorite cars, his screen presence was both powerful and effortless. He made nearly 40 films. Not bad for a kid from Beach Grove, Indiana. Beach Grove. Shout out Beach Grove. Go Gladiators. Go Bulldogs. I just want to see someone win. (laughs) But let's focus on Steve's most motor-focused tales. The first being The Great Escape from 1963. This classic is about a group of prisoners busting out of a Nazi prison cap. Based on a 1950 book by Paul Brickhill who had been one of the real-life participants of a POW camp escape in World War II, it's an underdog story about teamwork, bravery, and sacrifice. And while most of the film takes place inside the jail, when McQueen and his boys make a run for it, they go hard. Now, stick with me here, because this isn't a car movie, but it does have one of the most iconic motorcycle chases and stunts in film history, something McQueen insisted on including in the script. See, Steve loved bikes. I love bikes. I love bikes. Some people pray, other people meditate, but Steve had a different spiritual outlet, saying, quote, Every time I start thinking the world is all bad, 
Then I start seeing people out there having a good time on motorcycles. Makes me take another look. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. That's great. Hard to be sad on a motorcycle. He's more like Ryan Gosling than anybody. Ooh, Keanu Reeves. He likes motorcycles. Ooh, Keanu. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Keanu's a good uh, good analog there. Along with McQueen, the Great Escapes ensemble cast was made up of a number of macho 1960s Hollywood gearheads. It had Charles Bronson and James Garner, to name a few, which led to plenty of on-set shenanigans and drama. There were arguments over who had more. <laughs> there were arguments over who had the more masculine wardrobe, affairs with wives, and of course, who was the fastest and most daring driver. You know, this kind of sounds like the dynamic on the Fast and Furious sets. Famously, the the triangle between Jason Statham, The Rock, and the Vin Diesel over who gets to have the most punches. Well, they all had to have equal punches, and <laughs> nobody could get knocked out. No. Yeah, that was a real thing in that prison break scene. Oh, my they God. They all had to land equal punches. They got punched equal times, and nobody got knocked out. Oh, that's so fragile. Yeah, it's sick. <laughs> it's awesome. We have the same kind of agreements on high-low. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't used any of the punches yet, though. No, but they're coming. Yeah. Next season, baby. <laughs> Full contact high-low. According to actor David McCallum, quote, Everyone drove like a maniac, but Steve was the guy, mirroring the film almost, who took the most risks and had the... German traffic police in awe of him. When he was pulled over, they'd say, Herr McQueen, good morning. We're delighted that once again you've won the special prize. Then they cart him off to jail. Once I asked him what he did in a crash. He told me you should aim for the smallest trees. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, whoever did that quote was amazing, but it's fun to see, like, how insane he was through someone else's eyes. Yeah. Yeah, this guy's insane. This guy's crazy. Yeah. You won the special prize. Cut <laughs> jail. <laughs> well, fortunately for us, all the tree crashes, testosterone, and traffic tickets didn't stop the Great Escapes production. The bike Steve McQueen drove for the legendary chase scene was a 1962 650cc Triumph TR6R, which they tweaked to look like a World War II era BMW with a dark green paint job, retro seat, and luggage rack. As shooting began, it was quickly discovered that Steve was more skilled than a lot of the stuntmen. So for some sequences, he put on a German uniform and chased after his own character. That's so sick. It's pretty badass. Nowadays, it's a bit uncouth for actors to uh, do their own stunts because that just takes a job away from someone on set. Yeah, and if they get hurt, they have to shut down production for like six weeks and it puts everyone out. The climax of the pursuit is a 60-mile-an-hour, 12-foot-high jump over a huge barbed wire fence. McQueen's friend and stunt driver, Bud Ekins, performed the take used in the final cut, but crew members and friends said that McQueen had the skill to complete the stunt as well. The Great Escape went on to become one of the biggest hits of the year and is a popcorn war film favorite to this day. And ask anyone who loves it. The first thing they'll mention is that bike chase. Haggerty.com writer Priscilla Page says, quote, The motorcycle jump is essentially the Great Escape's legacy, a historic moment in movie making. It became an image seared into our collective memory, emblematic of liberation and the brief exultation of those who made it out of the prison camp. Have you guys seen The Great Escape? Yes. 
I've just seen this motorcycle jump over the fence. That's all. James, is it worth watching? You were talking about Bullet being real slow. Mm-hmm. Really, it's an old movie. Mm-hmm. So if you, I don't know, maybe watch it with your dad. Okay. Sounds good. I will. I like old movies. I, I watched uh, the original Manchurian Candidate like a month ago. Yeah. That's a good one. Excellent film. Highly recommend. Steve McQueen is not in that, so let's move on. (laughs) Our next McQueen film is on the Mount Rushmore of car movies. Of course, I'm talking about Bullet. Bullet, baby. Like The Great Escape, this 1968 cops and criminals thriller has an iconic automotive chase scene. McQueen's swagger and rebellious attitude are what got moviegoers in the seats, but what audiences didn't expect was a Highland Green 1968 Ford Mustang 390 GT fastback in hot pursuit of a murdered-out 68 Dodge Charger 440 Magnum through the wild and woolly hills of the city by the bay, a.k.a. (laughs) San Francisco. (laughs) The Paris of the Pacific. The city (laughs) on the hill. Please watch this chase. It is sick. The sound design is amazing. Many things don't hold up in life, but this chase does. The Mission Impossible and the Fast and Furious franchises are great. And there are some amazing cars and awesome stunt work in those modern films. But at the end of the day, they can always fall back on special effects. That's what makes the bullet chase scene so freaking good. The simplicity. Just two sick cars driven by awesome drivers in a dope location. Motor Trend writer Mike Magda noted, virtually none of the traditional Hollywood tricks were used to emphasize the speed, danger, or intensity of the chase. No fake shots of 100-mile-per-hour speedometer screaming passengers or crashes through garbage cans. Nothing to take the audience away from the cars. Sorry I didn't give that guy a voice. I might run into him. I was going to ask about that. (laughs) No, it's true, though. This is a pretty... uh pared down car chase compared to what we're used to today yeah like he doesn't jump out of the car and grab <laughs> a gal and then like jump into another car yeah no there's it's, no like jumping on the hood and hanging on the spoiler there are zero zero harpoons in the whole chase <laughs> <laughs> it's it's intense but also minimal in a way it really is just the cars chasing each other so i guess when we go camping it's intense nice dude yep. In preparation for the chase, the Mustang had its shock towers reinforced and bridged. They then installed heavy-duty front coils, a thicker anti-roll bar, and Coney shocks. For the Charger, they twisted the front torsion bars and wrapped in NASCAR-stiff rear springs and fresh Coney shocks as well. And even though the Mustang is the movie's belle of the ball, she was still just a touch slower than the stock 440 cubic inch 375 horsepower Dodge which would outrun the pony car by 0.2 seconds in the quarter mile. So McQueen, his great escape motorcycle jump buddy, Bud Eakins, and stunt legend Kerry Lofton drove the Mustang, but Bill Hickman, another all-time great, was behind the wheel of the Charger. Fun but tragic fact, Hickman was actually a close friend of James Dean and pulled the doomed actor out of his crashed Porsche 550 Spider the day he died. Yeesh. That's, That's not fun. Rough. The bullet driving isn't perfect, but clips like McQueen locking the tires and Hickman crashing into a car-mounted camera were included in the final cut. That's what happens when you drive a car fast, explained director Peter Yates. It was part of the spirit of the chase. The near misses are what makes it great. 
Bullet was one of the top five movies of 1968, and it was easy to see why when you remember it was a time when muscle cars dominated American car culture. Looking back, Bullet is a very important piece of film, said assistant director Walter Hill. It showed what could be done and how the possibilities of action cinema were greater than ever perceived. We were all part of a film that set the standards much higher. Also, they gave me a megaphone, and it was <laughs> I really had the cool. biggest megaphone I ever had up until that point. Walter Hill kind of <laughs> sounds like Jack Nicholson. I couldn't believe that they wanted me to be so loud. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. Big thanks to eBay for sponsoring this episode of Pass Gas. Passion. Drive patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance we're talking superchargers turbos exhaust kits and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride you'll always find exactly what you're looking for and with ebay guaranteed fit your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need for the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. After Bullet, McQueen had the star power to choose any role that came his way. It shouldn't come as a shock that he wanted to make another car movie, but this time, a real car movie, like literally about cars. I am, of course, talking about 1971's Le Mans. I thought you were going to say Cars, Disney's Cars. <laughs> cars 2, 1971's Cars 2. Look, I know the technology doesn't exist yet, but what if we made a movie where cars talked? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lightning McQueen is named after him. Yeah, because he wrote the movie. He wrote I Cars. Know. Yeah. Now, as you've probably figured out, this movie centers around the iconic 24-hour at Le Mans endurance race in France. McQueen plays Porsche driver Michael Delaney, who battles the Ferrari team in a wild back-and-forth war of automotive. 
crunchins. <laughs> McQueen was so obsessed with the idea of giving audiences the real deal that he wanted to compete in the actual race, but the studio put the kibosh on that idea real quick. They did, however, shoot footage at the real 1970 Le Mans using a certain Porsche that we'll detail shortly, and Steve convinced them to let him drive the featured 917 at its ridiculous 225-mile-per-hour top speed. Oh, my speed. God. That would not happen today. Uh, Tom Cruise does <laughs> like that. Tom Cruise would do that, yeah. He's probably the only guy who could get away with that. He held his breath for six minutes until he like almost died for that uh, oh my God. that one scene. Rogue Nation, I think that was. That's what one it was. Rise up, Rogue Nation. Rise up, Rogue Nation. <laughs> Producing the film was a challenge, to say the least. After a chaotic start, director John Sturges quit, and Lee H. Katzkin was brought in to complete the movie. They didn't have a finalized script before shooting began, which led to an inflated budget and several additional weeks of production. McQueen himself even gave up his salary and share of the gross receipts to help get it done. Another annoyance was that despite McQueen's admiration for Ferrari, Old man Enzo refused to supply the 512s for the shoot because of how the story ended. Spoiler alert, Porsche wins. Come on, Enzo. This meant they had to ship in Ferraris from Belgium, which of course cost more money. While all of these problems were certainly unpleasant, they still led to some incredible filmmaking. When you're racing, it's life. Anything that happens before or after... Is just waiting. That's a <laughs> quote from that. a Queen's character, Michael Delaney, who drives the number 20 Porsche 917. I've never seen this. Have you guys seen this movie? It's <laughs> intense. It's like not, not a great movie, but it, it's pretty incredible, some of the stuff that they shot. Like the driving is really like dude, sweaty palm. Yeah. like they're, they just, It's worth watching. They had like big cameras on actual Le Mans cars. They like build. Whoa. It's pretty, pretty crazy. But again, it's another one of those like... 60s movies where it takes its time yeah. getting into the story. It sets up just the atmosphere. I think, doesn't the movie start with like 15 minutes of McQueen just kind of like putting around Lamont in like a 911, yeah. <laughs> just checking things out? Uh, it's pretty pretty slow in that way. It's like it's like super core. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. Steve, I don't think Steve McQueen understood that not everybody wants to see what he wants to see. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But if you're if you're a fan of this podcast, you'll probably like this. Yeah, movie. it's pretty impressive. In the real Le Mans, the car retired after 156 laps with an engine failure. But in the film, it ends up being totaled. Speaking of totaled, for Le Mans bone chilling crash scenes, production obviously couldn't blast apart real Porsches and Ferraris over and over. So they had several replica bodies made and threw them over a much more affordable Lola T70. That's still a lot of work, man, to make like screen accurate replicas. Mm -hmm. Wow. While Le Mans ended up being a dud at the box office, it still stands as a cult classic, at least for car fans. In fact, part of the reason it didn't resonate with large audiences was because McQueen's commitment to the authentic racing became more important than the actual story. Case in point, there isn't a single line of dialogue for the first 30 minutes. Oh, man. It's like... Uh, Wally? Not good. It's like freaking Wally with cars. Yeah. It's like freaking thin red line for cars. Yeah, actually, that is like thin line. It is kind of like thin red line for cars. It is like thin red line for cars because it's too core. <laughs> the end result is deeply flawed with hardly any plot, stop, or even dialogue to speak of. Stop, says Chris Perkins in a recent Road and Track article about the film's 50th anniversary. 
Mainstream audience ignored it. Stop. But in 50 years, since its premiere, Le Mans has become a totem for car enthusiasts. Stop. Just watch the racing sequences to see why. Stop. The film beautifully captures one of the most iconic, evocative eras in motorsport. Full stop. <laughs> I think Bullet and Le Mans are definitely worth watching as car fans. Bullet, um, just be warned, like it does, like that chase is insane, but it happens about halfway through the movie and on both sides of that chase, it, it's a lot of Steve McQueen walking around, getting Wearing clued. a turtleneck and Wearing a blazer. A sick turtleneck. Would you go so um, far as to say it's uh, pretty self-indulgent? Lamar definitely is. Lamar is. I once, a Bullet is just like a, a mystery film of its time, you know? Yeah, Bullet, Bullet's just like a detective movie with a really cool car scene in it. Yeah, and two foot chases. Yeah. I mean, have you ever watched French Connection? Like, it's... Movies were way different back then. Yeah, they weren't meant for second screen viewing, as it's called now. Well, now that we've confirmed McQueen was the automotive real deal on the silver screen, let's dive into how much of his love of motors spilled into his downtime. Turns out, he was as much a driver as he was a thespian, once saying, quote, I'm not sure whether I'm an actor who races or a racer who acts. Mm. All right. All right. Which one? Which one gives you money? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> which one do you pay for? Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> McQueen's racing days began with bikes when he'd enter competitions as Harvey Mushman to stay <laughs> that's anonymous. A, that's, that's, that's a great, that's the fake best name. fake name, <laughs> Mushman. <laughs> hey, what's up? I'm Harvey Mushman. Harvey Mushman. That's not a real name. Please. <laughs> this is for insurance purposes. No, I know. That's I'm the guy that tracked. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. Um, can I have one of those peanut butter shakes? Yeah, my name's Harvey <laughs> Mushman. <laughs> There's a, you're the only person in here. You don't have to wear those don't sunglasses and hat. My name's Harvey Mushman. Uh, <laughs> my name's Harvey Mushman. Oh, they got a peanut butter shake for Harvey Mushman? <laughs> That's me, Harvey Mushman. <laughs> of the Connecticut Mushman. <laughs> I liked racing motorcycles because I could lose myself in the excitement and become an equal like the other competitors. He loved his 500 cubic centimeter Triumph and raced it in many notable off-road competitions like the Mint 400, the Baja Ooh. 1000, and the Ooh. Elsinore Grand Prix. This guy's a real deal. Those are serious, serious races. Yeah. McQueen never lost his passion for two-wheelers, but racing cars was his ultimate goal. His most famous race came in 1970, when McQueen competed in the 12 Hours of Sebring. Along with racer Peter Revson, Steve got second place in their Porsche 908, losing by a mere 23 seconds to a Ferrari 512S driven by some guy named Mario Andretti. I've seen him in his underwear. <laughs> you bring that up on a frequent basis. Well, every time his name comes up, I feel like i got to remind people. <laughs> Respect my name. Now, it needs to be stated that Revson drove the majority of the race and was clearly the faster driver, but it's still pretty nuts that a Hollywood actor was actually involved in such an intense competition. 12 Hours of Sebring is not to be trifled with. Uh-uh. No. It's a I think track. Uh, Revson also sounds like a fake racer name. Yeah, most racer names found, sound fake. My name's Clutch Throttle Man. Man. <laughs> clutch yeah. throttleman. Yeah, clutch throttleman. I'm tack shifter. 
My name is um, Bumper Vroom Vroom. <laughs> is that like a is that like a Dutch name? <laughs> yeah, it's Dutch. Yeah. Bumper. No, I'm just kidding. My name is Bumper Mushman. <laughs> oh, hey, wait a minute. That sounds fake. My name is Rearview Mirror Mushman. <laughs> Even crazier fact about that race is that two weeks before Sebring, McQueen broke his left foot while hauling ass around Utah on a motorcycle. He was barely cleared the race, and he wore a chunky fireproof cast with sandpaper glued to the bottom so he could grip the clutch pedal. Oh, my God. When not in the driver's seat, he would remove the cast and soak his foot in hot water. McQueen loved this Sebring Porsche 908 so much that it was used as a camera car in the real Le Mans race later that year. It was entered by McQueen's Solar Productions and was fitted with massive cameras that captured some of the most impressive racing footage in the film. As proof of McQueen's passion and the respect he had within the racing community, he was inducted into the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame in 1978. Dude, I bet that was a fun night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Paul New was probably there. Who? Uh, Robert Redford was probably there. Jack Nicholson, Rich, probably. Rich Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Jack Nicholson was maybe there. He was invited. A man with such a strong racing and car film pedigree must have had one hell of a gearage. And goodness gracious, Steve McQueen's collection does not disappoint. When my dad passed away, he had 38 cars and about 140 motorcycles, not to mention he had a few planes too. World War II vintage biplanes that he liked, McQueen's son Chad recalled. I know he was fond of Porsche. One day he'd be driving a Porsche, and the next day he'd be driving a 1953 Chevy truck. He had uh, all kinds of different tastes, just like ramen. <laughs> <laughs> you got shrimp ramen, you got beef ramen. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. A most notable famous steed in Steve's stable was a 1967 Ferrari 275 GTB-4, a model many considered to be one of the greatest Ferraris of all time. And not just because only 30 not just because a mere 330 were ever built. There were four cams for her 3.3 liter V12 motor, had four wheel independent suspension, six Weber carburetors, and a dry sump that needed 17 quarts of oil. Oh my God. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> it's a curvy, stunningly symmetrical butte that comes with a few charming little details, like a reverse light under the bumper and rear lights that slightly protrude over the quad pipes. Hmm. McQueen customized his 275 in a number of ways, starting with the paint. He never was a loud color guy, always opting for a more subdued earth tones. You know, it was the times. So rather than straight up Ferrari red or the gold color that his originally came in, he went for a subtle maroon. Whoa. I bet that's good looking. Yeah. There's a great YouTube video where Lee Brown and Junior Conway talk about working with the passionate but demanding McQueen. Brown details how for the 275, he swapped in the driver's side mirror and Baroni wheels from a 240 NART, while Conway describes an ongoing touch-up process as a result of McQueen's reckless driving. He's probably drunk, too. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, back into my trash cans. <laughs> but I got to go to the Brown Derby because... <laughs> Rich Cassidy and, and the Sundance Kid are down there. I don't want to miss any of that scene. What a time to be alive. No seatbelt. No. Blasting through Mulholland. 
Turning back the clock just a touch, one of Steve's all-time favorites was his 1956 Jaguar XKSS, one of only 16 ever made. Uh, I, I saw this at the Peterson. Hmm. It's awesome looking. Has like rivets all over it. Oh, nice. McQueen nicknamed his the Green Rat, which he drove the hell out of, constantly ripping up and down Mulholland. He racked up a pile of speeding tickets and got his license suspended twice. The L.A. County Sheriff got so annoyed that he made a wager with his patrolman. Whoever could nab McQueen and take his license for good would win a steak dinner. (laughs) But you know what? Not a single cop got it done. And when looking at the specs on this little rat, it's easy to see why. The Rack's engine is an XK Series inline six twin overhead cam, triple Webbers kicking out 262 hertzpers, sends you from zero to 60 in five seconds, That's which is quick. very fast for then. That's still and fast. It's still quick 60 years later. Yeah. McQueen had custom interior work done by Tony Nancy. <laughs> yeah, two first names. <laughs> yeah. Tony Nancy. <laughs> Hi, my name is Tony Nancy. I like to sew. <laughs> Tony upholstered a number of McQueen's cars, uh, including the aforementioned Ferrari. Steve knew his legal driving days were numbered if he didn't get away from his precious rat, so he sold it to Las Vegas casino magnate William Hara, who displayed it in his money pits for several years. But McQueen missed it so much that he bought the thing back in 1977, paying twice as much as he had sold it for. This beauty, along with a few more on the list, is now at home at the Peterson Automotive Museum in Los Angeles in case you want to go see it. I've seen it. It's freaking sick. Big shout out to the Peterson. Just go there. If you haven't been there, just go. Yeah. It's great. Big, uh, take the vault tour. It's worth it. Take the vault tour. You might see two little surprises. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nolan and James took a, a poo in the corner. We took a poo in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. A few other lightning quick imports in McQueen's collection were a 1959 Lotus 11 and two Lamal competition Porsches, a 1979 11S and that 1969 908 Spider. Even when he wasn't burning rubber in two-seaters, McQueen insisted that his family car be insanely powerful. <laughs> his 1972 Mercedes 300SE was the fastest four-door car in the world at the time. It had a 6.3-liter V8 and could easily outgun his 911S, which is why McQueen's son, Chad, said it was one of his dad's favorites. This thing is... I didn't realize they had that big of a a V8 back then because that's like their... They still have a 6-liter, 6.3-liter V8, right? Dude, this is the same car that... um, Or it's the same model that Mercedes-AMG was founded with, basically. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, the Red Pig. Oh, the Red Pig. I've seen that car, too. I've seen a lot of cars. Have you really? Yeah. Cool. 
obviously McQueen wasn't just a foreign exclusive collector. He boasted several prized Ford and GM models too, such as a 1951 Chevy convertible, a Ford GT40, and a Shelby Cobra 289 Roadster, which was given to him by Carroll Shelby himself. That's just full of chili. It was full of chili. <laughs> just the trunk is just like a slow cooker. <laughs> Sloshes around. Just sloshing oh around, changing up that weight balance. I made it so you could make your own chili. My name's Tex Mushman. <laughs> <laughs> Why is everyone going by Mushman? <laughs> this Mushman family is huge. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, sometimes all the hot cars and Hollywood panache in the world isn't enough to beat that terrible monster we call cancer. In his pedal-to-the-metal lifestyle, McQueen's death came quickly. In late 1979, he developed a nasty cough and was unusually fatigued after shooting the movie The Hunter. Soon after, doctors diagnosed him with mesothelioma, a brutal form of lung cancer that McQueen had spent much of the next year traveling back and forth to Mexico trying a number of holistic cures after American doctors told him the metastasized cancer was too much for his heart to handle. McQueen died in Juarez only 10 months after his diagnosis on November 7th, 1980, at the age of 50. Rest in peace, King. In the 40 years since his death, the mystique around McQueen and his connection to fast cars has only grown. Some people even have a name for it, the McQueen effect. I've never heard of that. (laughs) (laughs) Now you know. Well, then I guess it's not real. Uh, Auto Week scribe Blake Wrong calls it. Call it that because all the cars he owned were eminently desirable. Call it that because they're all seemingly tripled in value since his passing. And call it that because people still worship at the McQueen altar today. The unholy combination of the three elements... Makes for good auctioneering. Can I get one? Can I get one? Yep. Auctioneering, of course, refers to the salivating car collectors of today making absurd bids to get their hands on a McQueen affiliated automotive gem. The original 1968 Mustang from Bullet has a wild story to tell all its own, which we have told on this year's podcast. Uh, after being sold by the studio to a dude named Bob Kiernan in 1974, Bob Kiernan. McQueen tried buying it more than once, but the man wouldn't budge. Finally, in 2020, Kiernan's son brought the Mustang out of hiding and put it back on the market, where the originally priced $3,500 Rumbler sold for $3.74 million oh at a Florida Meacham auction. That's What is that? A thousand times its original price? That's nuts. Looks like it, huh? Wow, that's crazy. That's what I'm trying to get for my Z. I'm I'm holding out for like three million dollars for my Z. Is it for sale? Yeah, hit me up at Pass Gas at Donut Media if you want to buy my Z. Hit up Joe at Joe G Weber. It's a Shiro, 300 ZX. It's, it's like the neat. McQueen edition. It's pretty much the Bullet Mustang of Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Naturally, the Ford Motor Company has also cashed in on the famed Bullet car numerous times over the year. In 2001, they released the Bullet Edition Mustang GT, and a few years later, another version was introduced for the 40th anniversary of the film, and Sun Kang owns one of those. It's pretty cool. 
Most recently, they rolled out a special 50th anniversary edition in, in uh, 2019, complete with an upgraded 5-liter V8 engine and that singular Highland green paint. Why don't you have that Mustang, Nolan? It's probably That's like 50000 bucks. Well, now it's probably a... I don't think they sell that one anymore. Wait, which one does Sun King have? He has the new Edge he has, one? He's got the S197. Is that the bullet. new Edge one? No, it's the same one as my car. But it's green? But it's green. Whoa. Yeah, it's cool. And those ones don't have spoilers. I think that's what's like the coolest part. Mm. Um, they look great. They're cool. They have like... All of them have like upgraded suspension. Um, they have like performance pack suspension. Bullet, the most recent one, has like boosted power that some other edition had it's got all the upgrades it's a green top of the line mustang yeah, yeah. i have they're, the they're sweet i have the bullet edition uh ford edge hybrid <laughs> <laughs> is that what you're rocking right now <laughs> i wish oh. dude that's my dream car right uh, there <laughs> several of the stunners that we mentioned earlier have gone on to set records at the auction block as well in 2011, his 1970 Porsche 911S sold for $1.375 million, eight times the standard value. And remember his Ferrari 275 GTB4? Yeah, how can we forget? Well, it sold for over $10 million in Monterey, James. <laughs> and what's more, it's not just the cars, the icon name effects. Quote, Steve McQueen crosses the line between entertainment memorabilia and car memorabilia. Says Maury Barmack, owner of Collector Studio. McQueen's old 1946 Indian Chief motorcycle sold for nearly six times its value, and the racing suit he wore during the filming of Le Mans, which had been estimated around $300,000, fetched nearly a million dollars when the auction dust finally settled. Damn, that wow. that is hanging in, in some boomer's car collection. With the original pea stains. <laughs> As we've learned, there's a litany of reasons as to why Steve McQueen is arguably the most important figure in a uniquely American combination of film and car cultures. His bad boy gearhead persona has been mimicked time and time again. I mean, look at Nolan. <laughs> Not only did he love motors, he loved motor sports, a key to understanding the respect he still maintains in the racing community. At his peak, he was the highest paid actor on the planet while still committing to build a body of work that mirrored his automotive passion. And we've barely scratched the surface of McQueen's insane personal life. I'm pretty sure that John DeLorean's wife left DeLorean for uh, McQueen. He was also a pallbearer at Bruce Lee's funeral. But as you know, on past gas, we focus on motors. And in that way, we hope you're walking away with a better understanding of why the king of cool is still talked about in garages, racetracks, all over the world to this day. It's because he wore a cool turtleneck. Yeah, I bet he was little. Hmm. Yeah, he also he loved revolvers. Oh, that's cool. Shooting guns a lot. Dude, what a life. Steve McQueen is 5'10". 5'10", so he's probably 5'8". He's probably average height for the time, I would say. Mm-hmm. As Americans have gotten taller with time. Oh, he's a good-looking 5'10", I tell you that much. <laughs> Uh, rest in peace, Steve McQueen. Rest in peace, uh, Barry Mushman. <laughs> yeah, rest in peace, Mushman. Rest in peace, Mushman. All right, we have some uh, listener mail. Listener mail. This is from Ryan. 
Hi guys, I would love to hear a podcast about your opinions on electrification of classic cars. Not too far from where I live in Oxfordshire, England, there is a company called Electrogenic. They specialize in the restoration of classics and retrofit them with electric motors. Please check out their 1965 Porsche 356C, which has a 120 horsepowers electric motor married to the original four-speed manual. I think it's so sick and needs a full pass gas exploring these restaurants. Opinions? Keep up the great work, lads, and tell all the other lads in the donut gang, and much love from across the pond, i.e. the Atlantic Ocean. Sincerely, <laughs> warmest regards, God save the Queen, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. I think, uh, Thanks, Ryan. to answer your question, I don't know if we can do what we're going to do. I don't know. Maybe we will. But uh, I think it's very cool. I think one of my favorite things from SEMA this year was the Ford electric crate engine. And then Roadster Shop made a Ford F100 chassis to put it under. I would love to build one of those for a, sh- for a shop truck. And I think... Uh, yeah, that'd be dope. You know, electric motors are fast. And if you can put one in a cool-looking old car uh, and make it handle pretty decent, I think that is a very, very, very cool thing. I actually got to drive an electric Restomato. Okay, like, moving on. Shot like two years ago. <laughs> what did you drive? With, yeah, the Ferrari. With, with the manual transmission, though. Really strange experience because you don't have to really worry about lugging the engine with the clutch, right? And you, yeah, you don't have a clutch, right? No, there was a clutch, but you didn't have okay. to like use it really, except yeah. between gears. Yeah, very interesting. Did you get enough like audio feedback to be like, I don't know, keep the revs up? I mean, up or you're something? just like surprised by how quick they are, and that's what really replaces that sound feeling. It's just like, yeah. being, you know, put back in your seat. Yeah, you're like, oh man, I'm already yeah. over here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't believe I drove a whole block. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Jackson writes, hey, guys, my name is Jackson. I'm coming to you all the way from Vermont. Oh, yeah, that's I- not even very far. We just read one from England, Jackson. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> I just bought a Subaru Outback with the hopes of turning it into an off-road machine. I was wondering what I should modify first to get off on the right foot. Seeing as you guys made some dope off-roading trucks, I'm a big fan, and your channel is a big reason I'm into the cars today. Thank you for the content you guys put out. It makes my job more bearable. Nice. Hell yeah. Thanks, Jackson. Uh, Jackson, I would say tires and gas is the first thing you should buy. Just get yourself some good tires and get on out there, pal. Yeah. Um, there, There is a bit of a aftermarket hole you could go into with your Outback. There's a lot of companies that make aftermarket um, yeah. parts. But definitely, like, just suspension some good- would be a good idea too. Yeah, potentially. I, mean, expensive. I think it's potentially. more. It's get out there and then see what your limits are, and then yeah, make your car meet your limits. Yeah, I think if you want to, just go ahead and throw a bunch of crap on there. But I think get off road and then figure yeah. out. Oh man, I could have used a little bit more ground clearance over here. I could have used a little bit more traction. You are going to need. Like a trunk that's also a slow cooker, so you can make chili when you're in the woods. Yeah, if you want to make chili, you definitely got to get that slow cooker trunk. I'd say get that before tires even. Yeah, get some all-terrain tires. The Kenda Clevers that we have on low truck are very good and affordable. I think you should uh, go with those. If you'd like to email us at the show, hit us up at pastgas at donutmedia.com. Again, that's pastgas at donutmedia.com. We love reading your stuff. And dispensing advice like we just did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was nice. I felt very qualified. Those were good, yeah. Specific products uh, suggestions, awesome. Anyway, 
Remember to follow the boys at James Pumphrey, at Joe G. Weber, and me at Nolan J. Sykes. Big thank you to our producers again this week, Thomas Willett, Gavin Kinsell, and our writer this week, Mr. Luke Klompin. Luke Klompin, good stuff. And uh, definitely go watch Bullet. Yeah, or don't. <laughs> <laughs> or not. Sure. What a what a what an endorsement. Um, uh, goodbye. Goodbye. I love you. <laughs> goodbye. has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.